Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. just want to say that uh, it's been a privilege this week to have several of our global partners, uh, not just Jeff and the Horns, but uh, others, as Bruce has mentioned. And uh, there's one more opportunity that everybody here has uh, to engage them. They will be in the gathering hall immediately following the service. Uh, so before you head to the car, um, stop there. I think there will even be some snacks uh, to slow people, sl- slow people down. Um, but there will be a number of partners uh, that are either with us here in Norman that live here or uh, that have come into town. And you can, uh, you can greet them and uh, maybe learn some more about their ministries. I want to back up just a little bit. Uh, these, are, these are fascinating partners that we have. If you, if you start picking their brains, I think that uh, any one of them would have a lot of stories to share. But I want to back up a few, uh, 100 years, and focus on William Borden. I don't know if that's a familiar name uh, for you, but actually, 100 years ago, if you were to take a poll among Christians, they probably would say he is one of the most admired men in the United States. And uh, others would say that he was one of the most influential Christians in the United States. Uh, In fact, the phrase, Borden of Yale, became sort of a catchphrase. And uh, for years afterwards, uh, people would just say, Borden of of Yale, and uh, they would think of courage and Christian commitment. Uh, Even if you were to ask non-Christians of the day, uh, he was fairly well-known. And uh, a lot of people would have said he's the most interesting man in the world. Uh, Or maybe the most incomprehensible man in the world. Because he was actually uh, incomprehensible apart from God. Who was William Borden? He was a young man, a a student at Yale University. Uh, He was athletic, good looking. Uh, He was a natural leader. He... uh, also was the heir to a fortune of $5 million. And in those days, that was a lot of money. Well, in these days, it's a lot of money. Uh, But at the time, $5 million would have been worth more or less $100 million if it were uh, in today's values. So $100 million, uh, student, uh, all this going for him. He could have done whatever he wanted to in life. And yet, he chose the path of focusing on and pursuing the Muslims of Western China. And when he announced this to people, uh, various people heard about this, this desire that he had uh, to become a missionary and to, um, to actually give away a lot of his wealth and to focus his talents on this, this group. Um, they really questioned you know, whether this was a good idea. Uh, more than one person told him that he was throwing his life away. And yet this was the direction that he pursued. Borden was interesting. uh, While he was a student at Yale, um, Yale University, like many universities still, uh, a lot of skepticism, religious skepticism, indifference. uh, And yet he sat down early in his first semester there on campus uh, with a a friend. And he said, let's get together and pray. Let's pray for the lost that are all around us. And this prayer meeting that started with just the two of them, by the end of his first year, there were 150 students that were gathered weekly for prayer focused on the lost. By the end of his senior year, there were 1,000 students that were gathering weekly, 
1,000 out of only 1,300 students at the Yale campus. This is the impact that he was having even while he was in university studies. Also, while he was at Yale, Yale is located in the city of New Haven, Connecticut, which is a port. It's the major port between Boston and New York City. Uh, a lot of things happen when you get port cities and uh, the sailors and wild nightlife and all sorts of things. So uh, Borden directed a lot of his attention to reaching not just the students on campus, but also the, the homeless, the destitute, the drunk uh, in town. Uh, he rented a room there near the port, uh, began to devote his energies that way, founded what is, was known as the Yale Hope Mission, uh, and continually was, was praying with people, helping them uh, with shelter, with food, and also to hear the gospel. One person commented on Yale at this point of his life and said, uh, uh, you would never know from his, his talk or his life that he was a millionaire, but you could not help but knowing that he was a Christian. After he had finished at Yale, um, Borden went for graduate studies at Princeton, and then shortly after that, uh, departed for Egypt. His focus was on China, but the Muslims in China spoke Arabic, so he wanted to learn Arabic in Egypt, and then after that, uh, pursue his work in the Gansu Project province of, of China. You know, I think about Borden, and I think, wow, wouldn't it be great to have a, a life that is that impactful, that thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people look up to and can be encouraged by and to think that uh, you're a representative of not only the church but of God here in the world. Well, uh, for most of us, we probably won't have the opportunity to impact uh, thousands, but maybe a few hundred, maybe the people that we work with, the people that we go to school with can look to us as a point of light, as an example of the Christian life. And parents, uh, even the numbers aside, uh, think of your children, your, your son or daughter, uh, your own kids. We want to be a positive influence in them. We know that there's so many times that a young person will walk away from the faith in college or if not before. And we want to have that, that positive impact in our own family uh, so that even if it's not in other areas, at least with Christianity, they'll continue to follow after God. And you may be here today not thinking so much of impact as just the question of purpose. Why is it that I clock in every day at my job? Why is it that I'm taking all these classes? Why is it that I have to keep plugging away at these things? It's, life can be really hard sometimes. And especially so when we don't have a sense of purpose. What I'd like to do this morning is to look at three questions... I'd like to look at three questions which I believe gave guidance to William Borden and also to the Apostle Paul. Uh, these are not exhaustive. It's not an exhaustive study, but I think that they're three vital questions that we need to ask in order to sense the direction that, has, that God has for our lives. Um, we're going to look at a single verse, actually, in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up in Acts chapter 13. And we want to look a little bit at the motivation that the Apostle Paul is revealing for us at this juncture. And in asking these questions, these three questions, I believe that we'll have insight into the types of answers that we could give to the same questions. So Acts chapter 13, 
And in verse 47, I'd like to look at the first question, which is simply, uh, what is God's plan? What is God up to in our world? Uh, God is forming a church. Uh, God's doing different things, maybe mysterious in some ways. Uh, But what is his big plan? Uh, What has been revealed in the scripture about what God would like to see accomplished in our world? Well, um, just a little bit of context before we get into this verse. Uh, In Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas at the beginning of their first missionary journey. In fact, they're still on the outgoing side of that journey. They're in the city now of Antioch of Pisidia. They left Antioch of, of Syria, and now they're in Antioch of Pisidia. And there's a long sermon that's recorded there. And we see that uh, just like in Cyprus and other parts of Turkey, uh, Paul and Barnabas have seen some success. They've been evangelizing primarily Jews in the synagogues up to this point. But in chapter 13, verse 47, we see Paul make a a radical change. It's it's just an almost incomprehensible switch and focus for his ministry. Paul, from this point on, after his sermon is concluded and after he's seen some results, uh, there's a little bit of opposition. Uh, some people with, filled with jealousy and, and uh, blaspheming the Lord. But Paul announces to them that he is going to change his focus and begin reaching out to the Gentiles. Now, for us, that, that doesn't sound like a big switch. It's like the gospel's for everyone. But at that time, Jews and Gentiles, it was like oil and water. They did not mix it was just a, it was an incomprehensible plan uh, that Paul was announcing. And yet, in this verse, he reveals a little bit of his motivation. So Paul tells us uh, at the beginning of this verse, he says, So the Lord has commanded us. So the Lord has commanded us. And I want to pause just for a minute before we get into the re- remainder of the verse. That's an interesting phrase because uh, there are a lot of imperatives, a lot of commands in the Scriptures. Uh, things that we should do that are very important. But this is kind of a preface to the, the next command, and it's as if it's being highlighted, you know, put the quotes around it or uh, highlight it in some other way. And Paul is saying this is really important. And there's really only three other, uh, there's only two other commands, a total of three in the New Testament that have this kind of treatment that people are commanded of the Lord to do something. The first is for all people to believe in Jesus Christ. It's a command, actually. It's an opportunity that they have, but also a command that the Lord gives. Uh, Second is for Christians to love one another. That's a command that we can think of multiple occasions, particularly in the book of John and elsewhere. And the third command that we see uh, prefaced in this way is the command to proclaim the gospel throughout the world. So Paul is is picking up on this third theme, and he's saying, this is a command that's very serious. We need to uh, pay close attention to this. And actually, if you were to think of Jesus' own example in John 14, 31, it says, uh, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So Jesus himself saying, it's not just an orientation, it's not just an option, it's not just a suggestion, but when it's a command from the Lord, we need to be careful to do exactly, fully, all that he is saying. So Paul sets it up this way. And then in the, the rest of the quotation, what does he say? Uh, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. 
Now this is, it's interesting, if, if you were to take some time to study this, and I'd recommend this, you could look back in the book of Isaiah, and, and what Paul is doing is he's quoting Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 49, verse 6. So this is a quotation, and Paul is looking back in the Old Testament scriptures and saying that God has a plan for this Messiah, this you here, the Messiah, to come and provide the light for the Gentiles. Now, you may be thinking, wait a second. In the Old Testament, wasn't it focused on the Jews? Salvation came to the Jews first. Well, truly, the, the focus, generally speaking, is on the Jews. But you will see time and time again that there are promises, and actually some examples of Gentiles being blessed in the same way that the Jews were blessed with the knowledge of God. So Paul, in his writings in the book of Acts, actually you could find more than two dozen references, different references, that Paul cites an Old Testament passage and says that God has this worldwide emphasis. So that's in the Old Testament, but Paul is bringing it to his New Testament audience. So Paul is saying that the, God has always had this interest in reaching out to the Gentiles, and it shouldn't be surprising that he himself would, would change his focus in this way. But Paul goes on, and the last phrase of this verse is important because it's a purpose statement, and Paul explains why the Gentiles need to be reached. You know, we, we might get the impression that Gentiles need to be included because God's an equal opportunity God, right? You know, everybody has a chance at salvation, so uh, let's proclaim, let's not have any barriers, let's, uh, and there's a degree of truth with that for sure. But the objective, God's full objective, is not just that some Gentiles would hear, but he says that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. If you proclaim to only the Jews, well, just a few people in the earth and some one portion of the earth will hear that message. If you proclaim the message only to a few Gentiles, just a few people in some portions of the earth will hear that message. But the objective of God is really to fill the earth with the knowledge of his salvation. You know, I know we're in recruiting season now. The bowls have passed, and um, the next thing to look forward to is who's going to sign, right? Uh, the men here, I think a lot of them know what I'm talking about, so it's just a few days away. But a coach can go to a prospect and say, hey, I want to recruit you to come and uh, rush the ball, the tailback, I want, to, want you to score a lot of touchdowns. Well, that's not really, it may appeal to the player, but it's not really the coach's main objective. So if he were to state it in fuller terms, he would say, I want you to come and score a lot of touchdowns so that we can win a lot of games. That's the objective. And the objective here is not just to reach some Gentiles with the gospel, but it's to fill the earth with this knowledge of the Lord. We just sang a song that says God is, or Jesus is King of Kings, right? King of Kings, Lord of Lords, God of Gods. Well, the only way that you'll know that is when Jesus is put in, in stark contrast with the options. You know, the other God, Lord, uh, King that's out there, and the way that that happens is we come into that culture, that context, and we make the comparison. We say, Jesus is better than this God. Jesus is better than this king. He's better than the other rulers. He's better than all the other options. And if we don't put those in stark contrast, somebody may conclude, I think my God is better than him. 
And God does not want that to happen. He doesn't want to uh, let eternity pass with that doubt in some people's minds. I wonder if God was really better than X, Y, Z. So what we have the opportunity now is to fill the earth with knowledge of God and people can come to the conclusion that he's better than all the others, all the other kings and lords and gods that are out there clamoring for attention. So Paul is saying that we need to fill the earth with salvation, uh, bring the news, the good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, death and resurrection to all peoples. What I find interesting, and this is uh, maybe a little bit of conjecture on my part, but Paul did not quote Isaiah 49.6 in its entirety. If you go and compare the two passages, actually he just quoted the last half of that Old Testament verse. And if he had quoted the first half of the verse, I think that his argument would have been even more compelling, more emphatic. So what does it say in Isaiah 49? It says, it is too small a thing, too small a thing, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. And then what Paul quotes is, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Did you catch that? What Paul is saying is reaching the Jews only is too small an objective for the Lord. Now, I'm sure, at least I suspect that Paul didn't say that because he was a little bit tactful and didn't want to aggravate them too much because that's hard to hear. But actually, it's true. If God's objective were to reach a single people, he could probably do that pretty easily and probably would not receive as much glory as he could in the process. So reaching one people is one thing. It's great. We praise God for that. But reaching all peoples is a much greater thing. And that's the objective of the Lord here. So when we think about this motivation for the Apostle Paul, I think, brothers and sisters, I think it should lead us to question a little bit what our goals and what our objectives are, what our purpose is. And, and just putting it simply, I would say we need to guard against goals which are too modest, that are too small. We, we certainly seek the salvation of the people that are around us. That's something that God has given us. People are placed in our path, in our family, in our, at our job, that we can evangelize and we can bring the knowledge of salvation to them. But if reaching the people that only live in our proximity or only live um, that are like us, if that's our only goal, it's actually a very modest goal. And it doesn't give the glory to God that he deserves nor desires. So as we formulate personal goals or even corporate goals as a church, we need to do both and. We need to reach out to people in this community but also think about peoples at a great distance that are they're quite different from us and to seek to provide them with the gospel so that God's name can be glorified among them as well. Warden of Yale, going back to his example for just a minute, um, he came from Chicago and uh, the church that he attended there was Moody Bible Church. Uh, still a great church, a very renowned church. And the pastor at the time that Warden was there was... Uh, this man, R.A. Torrey. And some people, I think people on staff here probably have a book or two of his on their shelves. He's a uh, renowned, probably one of the premier expositors uh, of his day. Well, he had been the pastor of this church for about eight years, senior pastor, and he took a leave of absence and left. 
Borden at this time would have been probably about a freshman in high school. So the senior pastor leaves and he left for two years to engage in an extensive evangelistic campaign in India, China, and Japan. And when I discovered that, I thought, how do you do that? A large church, important city, great work going on. How do you just turn it over to somebody else and then go, well, I don't know how it happened, really. But I, I do suspect that the impact in the life of Borden and the life of probably other people was that maybe that nonverbal communication that reaching the city of Chicago is not as big a goal as God desires. We need to engage big projects. I'm not saying don't reach our local community, but do both and. Reach out to things and do things which are perhaps even crazy as the world sees it, but try to glorify God in every way that we can. So I think that he saw the example that Borden saw in the scripture, um, the motivation that one might have to uh, throw their life away, as it were, and to go engage people at a great distance. But I think he also saw the example in his own church leadership. And I don't, I don't want to pick on church leadership. I, I think that uh, leaders of any stripe, of, you know, it could be the mom or dad, or it could be other people, the community group leader. That's just a great example where it's the, hey, earning the, the, the paycheck is not that big a deal. It, it may be more, maybe less in some other place, but what's important is to serve God and to see his name glorified among peoples that do not know him yet. And when we see people with that sort of motivation, I think it engenders more vision and a greater desire on the part of more people. The second question that we could ask of this passage is, I think just a logical outgrowth is the question, how's it going? When you ask the question, what is God's plan, and you think he's had 2,000 years uh, since the time of Christ to develop that plan, it's a natural question. We sit down for a football game, and, and if it's already underway, first question you ask is, what's the score? You, you want to know how it's going. So I think that this is a, a natural question. And to answer this question, it's not so much looking in the Scripture as it is looking around us to see signs of God developing his plan. You know, we, we tend to have this idea that the Apostle Paul uh, was just kicked out of one place after another, and he kind of was forced to leave one place. And another. Well, that was true in some occasions, but actually here in Antioch of Pisidia, like I've already said, it was just mild opposition, and then he announced this change. So Paul was doing it not because of some imposition, but more because of a conviction that he needed to start bringing the Gentiles into the church. And this also explains his motivation in going from city to city and from region to region, from journey to journey. Uh, Paul was always interested in bringing more people into the fold. So in the book of Romans, for example, we can read uh, something of this motivation. He says, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. So Paul had this desire, and it's not just a, uh, a passing thing, but it's something that gave him a direction in the course of his ministry. 
Now, I'm going to pause for just a minute here, and I'm going to open a parenthesis that, um, just for your thinking, and you may not agree with me. I, I'm going to just preface it that way, okay? I know this is a little bit dangerous, but I'm going to put it out here. I think that there's some confusion with regard to the outreach goal of the church. You know, most people, I think, our natural thought is, well, you're supposed to reach people with the gospel, reach every person with the gospel. And I will agree to that, but with a little qualification. Ask yourself the question, will every person be saved? Well, if you're familiar with scriptures, the answer to that is no. Jesus himself says that the, uh, the gate is small and the, way, the path is narrow uh, that leads to eternal life, and few are those who find it. So not every person that we talk to, that we share the gospel with, will be saved. That's not a reason to not share the gospel. In fact, it may be all the more reason to share the gospel because you don't know who is going to be saved and who's not. But not every person will be saved. Then ask yourself the question, will every people group be reached? And what I mean by that, will there be the establishment of a Christian community, a representative community in every subculture, every tribe, every tongue throughout the world? Well, the answer to that question is yes. And you could think of a verse like Revelation 7, 9 that says, Behold a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, people from every tribe uh, and tongue who are standing there before the Lamb. And it's not just in Revelation 7, 9, but many other occasions. So it's a, it's a guarantee that God wants to populate heaven with representatives from all the subcultures of our world. So as we think about our engagement with the lost or the, the people that do not yet know, know Jesus, we may not ever see the salvation of a particular individual. And that's hard. I, I've got unsaved in my family and other friends that I, I know that I, despite sharing or despite pleading with them, or despite uh, doing all that I can to help them see the light and to come to Jesus, they may never make that step. And yet there's an assurance that as you look around the globe, God will establish a church in the midst of all these tribes and cultures. That's a great assurance. It's a great assurance. We need to do both ends. God gives us the opportunity, but we also shouldn't feel tied down. I, well, I can't leave because so-and-so has never made a decision. As hard as it is to admit that, Paul here could look at the people of Antioch and Pisidia and he left, not because everyone had become a Christian, nor because the work was concluded, but he left because there were still other places where the work had not yet begun. And that should be part of our motivation, to look around the globe and see where the work has not yet begun. Well, I don't have a globe with me, um, but if you were to spin the globe and look at the different countries, you would see that God is doing a... a um, an incredible work in so many places around the world. We don't always see that. We certainly don't hear it from the news. Um, but you could look and you'll hear these reports. And uh, When I was in college, for example, the, city, or the country of Mongolia was considered the ends of the earth. Maybe it still is. But Mongolia is like, wow. And at the time, there were only four known believers in the entire country. When you go to Mongolia today... And the church there is at least 40,000 believers. 
They're even sending out their own missionaries to different places. Beck and I lived for 20 plus years in Brazil. When we got there, uh, 1990, less than 10% of the population was evangelical. Today, it's almost 30%. There's tens of millions of new brothers and sisters in Christ from that country. Or you could even look at a country like Iran. And I, I say that, and the images probably pop up as radical, you know, so harsh, so difficult. Well, back in the late 70s, there were just a, a, couple, a few hundred known believers in the entire country. But today, there are hundreds of thousands in Iran believers in Jesus Christ. God is doing this, this tremendous work in our midst, and he's bringing these peoples into his kingdom, people who will one day be before the throne. Well, I share all that, and I know that some people may think, well, God's doing all this, amen, I don't need to get involved. I, I don't know if that's your thought, but it's like, it's, it's good to know about, it's fun, it's, it's encouraging, but why does he need me? Well, when you think about what God is hoping for, what God seeks, it's not just that some people, some places, but all people in all places would have the chance to hear the gospel. If you were to take the, the, the unsaved of our world, you could almost divide them into two different groups. You would have half of the unsaved, the lost, the people without Christ, that are waiting for a Christian friend to come and tell them the gospel. They have a Christian friend. They, they know some, a Christian, and maybe the Christian has tried, but the Christian is there and is an, uh, a resource, as it were, for the person to hear the gospel. But then you have half of the unsaved humanity that does not have a Christian friend or a Christian coworker. They may not even know a Christian, and they may not have ever even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And for these people in the second group to come into the kingdom of God, a missionary is going to need to go to them. So I'm saying both and. If you've got non-Christian friends, by all means, reach out to them. But let's give some thought. Let's think about it. Let's, let's let enter into our, our thinking, our planning, this second group of people that have no hope apart from the church sending representatives, missionaries, to their locations. So I think this was, this was Paul's motivation here. I know that it was William Borden's motivation as well because um, he himself wrote about the importance of a trip that he was able to take. Uh, after his high school graduation, Borden's father gave him a round-the-world trip. If you're worth $100 million, that's the type of graduation present you give to your kid. So Borden got this round-the-world trip, and he came face-to-face -face with unsaved populations in different places. And as he did, he realized the plight was not just a biblical theological plight, but it was an existential situation for him. And he knew that God was placing in his heart the desire and the calling to make a difference. Well, I would encourage you, if, if you can't make a trip, at least to, to, to study. But there are different trips that are being planned. We have three that are being planned for later this year. Uh, there is a short-term trip uh, going to Latvia for uh, all peoples of all ages. And a high school trip going to Nicaragua in, in July. And probably a trip to Jordan, a medical missions type trip uh, later in the year. So if you're thinking, I'd like to come face-to-face -face with these type of realities, let me know. I would love to talk more with, the, with you about those things.
Well, we need to move on, and I want to ask this third question. And this third question is, how can I help? And that's a very personal question. And I'll be the first to say that everybody in here is going to have a different answer. But if you think about the Apostle Paul, he actually helps us just a little bit at this juncture because what does he say here in the beginning of the verse? He says, the Lord has commanded us. You think, well, Paul, you could have said the Lord's commanded me. Thinking about his conversion experience, he was designated at that time to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But he says us. Or Paul could have been thinking about the commissioning that he and Barnabas had at the beginning of the same chapter and uh, how the church sent them out. But it says the Lord commanded us. And I don't know if if Paul was thinking about the Great Commission. Uh, Maybe he heard it from Peter, but he wasn't a Christian. Paul wasn't a Christian at that time. So maybe it wasn't his, his thought. But what should be obvious is that Paul is looking at this Old Testament reference to the Messiah this capital Y of you, you, and he's basically reflecting on the fact that the Messiah has come into the world to provide light to all nations, to all peoples. And the, the reflection of Paul, I think, matured to the point where he identified with this same task. Whatever the Messiah was going to be engaged in, he, Paul, as part of the body of Christ, the body of the Messiah, would also be engaged in that. And that sort of reflection basically means that the us of this verse is the we who are assembled here. It's the church. If we are part of the body of Christ, these are things that we should be engaged in. It's not just a Paul thing, but we should be engaged in this command of the Lord. When um, you think about this, it's, it can be tremendously challenging. You think, oh, there's no way I can measure up to being like the Apostle Paul. Granted. I agree. But the good news is that the Lord needs all sorts of people, all sorts of professions, abilities on the mission field. And the mission field is so diverse, it would be difficult to categorize. And, And truth be told, I think that the Lord will call most people here, most people assembled in this room, to stay here in Norman. Uh, He's given you a specific calling whether or not you've realized that, but uh, your contribution to this worldwide task may be praying or giving or encouraging others, encouraging your own children or other people to go and to be the frontline missionaries. But God has a tremendous interest in reaching people at a distance. And I do believe that here at Wildwood, he will lay upon the heart of some this desire to be on the front line. Just with a church our size, I would say that it stands to reason that there will be a, a number of people that will think, yeah, the Lord's kind of talked to me about that. Well, let him talk and let him cultivate that sense of calling and confirm that. And if there's anything we can do as a church staff, if I can do to help with, I'd be glad to, to sit down and help you with it or to, to talk about it. Warden of Yale... He um, has an interesting career, actually, as a missionary, because after he finished his graduate studies at Princeton, he left for Egypt, and within just a a few months, contracted cerebral meningitis and passed away. He uh, passed away, and people shortly afterwards discovered his Bible, and on the flyleaf of his Bible, he had written some phrases that basically summed up his life. 
So Borden, after he had been a, uh, uh, finished high school and gone on this world, around the world trip, that's when the desire and the, the focus to be a, a cross-cultural missionary in, Ch- in China had really solidified. And he opened his Bible at that point and he wrote in the flyleaf, no reserves, no reserves. That was his goal and he was going to keep to it. Well, sometime later, uh, after he'd finished graduation, he'd finished his studies at Yale and was graduated from there, uh, he was offered several high-paying jobs, and there was a temptation to pursue that route, but he knew that the Lord had placed something different on his life, and he wrote in the margin of his Bible, the flyleaf, the phrase, no retreats, no retreats. Well, the next phrase actually was written while he was in Egypt, and after he had discovered that he had this, uh, he was going to die, he was going to pass away. And as he reflected upon his life, Borden, still a young man, wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, no regrets, no regrets. His life was short by the standards that we usually apply. But his impact was much greater, much, much greater. I don't know how my life would stack up next to Borden. I've got more years than he does. But I do hope for that sort of impact. And I know that that impact will only come as I come up with answers to the questions that we've considered this morning. What is God's plan? How's it going? How can I help? And if you're able to wrestle with those questions and if you're able to come up with answers that are similar to that, uh, those that Warden was able to supply to those questions or similar to those that the Apostle Paul also gave, I have no doubt that you'll be able to come to the end of your life and echo the phrase, no regrets, no regrets. Heavenly Father, our desire is to serve you. Our desire is to please you in every way. Where we are today, the situations that we face today. But also, Father, we we ask you for the opportunity to glorify your way, your your name in, in ways which are even undreamt of at this point. That we could embrace bold plans and that you would see those through, that your name might be glorified. And Father, we pray that the gospel message would be proclaimed among peoples that do not know you yet, that around the globe, more and more peoples would confess that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the God of gods. And we ask this all for your glory. Amen.